Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to episode 32 of Destination Disaster. I'm your host, Devin Carney. This week, we're going to be covering a topic that, if it ever comes to fruition, could have devastating implications for all life on Earth. This week, we are covering solar storms and the slew of catastrophic scenarios that could occur to us here on this tiny blue marble that is hurtling through space. To begin, the star that lays at the center of our solar system is a near-perfect sphere composed of hydrogen and helium that burns at an amazing 9,940 degrees Fahrenheit. This star consumes roughly 600 million tons of hydrogen per second, converting that into approximately 596 million tons of helium. The remaining 4 million tons of hydrogen are converted to energy, which is what makes the sun shine. The sun goes through a near-periodic 11-year cycle, the solar cycle, also known as the solar magnetic activity cycle, sunspot cycle, or Schwab cycle, is a nearly periodic 11-year change in the sun's activity measured in terms of variations in the number of sunspots on the sun's surface. Over the period of a solar cycle, levels of solar radiation and ejection of solar material, the number and size of sunspots, solar flares, and coronal loops all exhibit a synchronized fluctuation from a period of minimum activity to a period of maximum activity back to a period of minimum activity. The magnetic field of the sun flips during each solar cycle, with the flip occurring when the solar cycle is near its maximum. After two solar cycles, the sun's magnetic field returns to its original state, completing what is known as the Hale Cycle. Depending upon the activity that is occurring during the solar cycle, sunspots form and represent areas of unstable magnetic fields. Here is where solar flares and coronal mass ejections occur. Sunspots are areas where the magnetic field is about 2,500 times stronger than the Earth's, much higher than anywhere else on the sun. Because of the strong magnetic field, the magnetic pressure increases while the surrounding atmospheric pressure decreases. This in turn lowers the temperature relative to its surroundings because the concentrated magnetic field inhibits the flow of hot, new gas from the sun's interior to the surface. Sunspots tend to occur in pairs that have magnetic fields pointing in opposite directions. A typical spot consists of a dark region called the umbra surrounded by the lighter region known as the penumbra. The sunspots appear relatively dark because the surrounding surface of the sun, the photosphere, is about 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit, while the umbra is about 3,600 degrees Fahrenheit. 
Sunspots are quite large as an average size is about the same size as the Earth. Now, when the areas surrounding the sunspots intermingle, their oppositely directed magnetic fields, both solar flares and coronal mass ejections can occur. Coronal mass ejections and solar flares are extremely large explosions on the photosphere. In just a few minutes, the flares heat to several million degrees Fahrenheit and release as much energy as a billion megatons of TNT. They occur near sunspots, usually at the dividing line between areas of oppositely directed magnetic fields. Hot matter called plasma interacts with the magnetic field, sending a burst of plasma up and away from the sun in the form of a flare. Solar flares emit X-ray and magnetic fields bombard Earth as geomagnetic storms. If sunspots are active, more solar flares will result, creating an increase in geomagnetic storm activity for Earth. Therefore, during sunspot maximum, the Earth will see an increase in northern and southern lights and a possible disruption in radio transmission and power grids. The storms can even change polarity in satellites, which can damage sophisticated electronics. Therefore, scientists will oftentimes preposition satellites to a different orientation to protect them from increased solar radiation when a strong solar flare or coronal mass ejection has occurred. Solar flares are ranked on a scale similar to how the Richter scale grades earthquakes. The solar flares are classified according to their x-ray brightness and the wavelength known as 1 to 8 angstroms. Flare classes have names A, B, C, M, and X, with A being the tiniest and X being the largest. Each category has 9 subdivisions ranging from C1 to C9, M1 to M9, and X1 to X9. These are logarithmic scales, much like the seismic Richter scale. So, an M flare is 10 times as strong as a C flare. The scale only begins to measure flares once they are B-class, as the A-class flares are too small to track and pose absolutely no harm to Earth. As with the A-class flares, B-class flares are also too small to harm Earth. C-class flares are larger, and depending upon their classification, can pose a threat, while minimal to Earth. C-class flares can only be identified at their strongest. M-class flares are the second strongest class of flares, and, depending upon their classification, can cause intermittent radio blackouts, affect the Earth's poles, and even cause minor radiation storms. X-class flares are the strongest and most damaging to Earth. These flares, depending upon their classification, can lead to planet-wide radio blackouts and long-lasting radiation storms. As I just stated, these solar storms have the capability to trigger planet-wide radio and communications outages. Even though Earth is nearly 95 million miles away from the Sun, these solar storms have and continue to impact the planet. While normally, the Earth's magnetosphere protects us from most of the weaker storms, those that are able to breach the magnetosphere, the consequences can be damaging. One of the most popular events in recent history is the Carrington event. The Carrington event is widely regarded as the most damaging geomagnetic storm in recorded history. The Carrington event was the most intense geomagnetic storm in recorded history, peaking between September 1st and 2nd, 1859, during Solar Cycle 10. It created strong auroral displays that were reported globally and caused sparking and even fires in multiple telegraph stations. The geomagnetic storm was most likely the result of a coronal mass ejection, or CME, from the sun colliding with the Earth's magnetosphere. The geomagnetic storm was associated with a very bright solar flare on September 1, 1859. It was observed and recorded independently by British astronomers Richard Carrington and Richard Hodgson, first records of a solar flare. A geomagnetic storm of this magnitude occurring today would cause widespread electrical disruptions, blackouts, and damage due to extended outages of the electrical power grid. This is something that truly keeps me up some nights. One minute, we could be on the verge of new technological advancements, and in a moment, we could be forced back into a time before modern technology. As you've heard in past episodes that I've covered, the electrical infrastructure throughout the United States continues to age faster than it is being upgraded. The reliability of the electric transmission grid is challenged by outdated grid architecture from the 1950s and 60s, and the overall age of the network. 
This will pressure operators to keep up with necessary upgrades. The Department of Energy reports that 70% of transmission lines and large power transformers are more than 25 years old, and that the average age of all installed infrastructure is about 40 years old. In 2021, the Department of Energy found that power outages are costing the U.S. economy $28 billion to $169 billion annually. Data provided from the Energy Information Administration indicated that states like Maine, West Virginia, and Louisiana are impacted by outages at nearly triple the national rate. It is truly only a matter of time before a coronal mass ejection large enough impacts Earth to a point where we witness large-scale blackouts. Many countries now rely on technology for much of the daily life that we live. From subway systems to cell phones, everything that we use has some form of chip that could be rendered useless following a solar storm. Now, I'm not sitting here with my tinfoil hat on telling you to go craft a Faraday cage to protect your electrical devices. But the main thing that you should gather from this episode is that you should begin taking the steps to learn small survival tips. Learn how to read a map, make a fire, begin learning how to make small self-sufficient gardens because modern conveniences can be stripped from the world in a second. The utter importance that this country needs to take in upgrading, hardening, and modernizing the electrical infrastructure needs to be one of the top priorities. As witnessed with the solar storm that occurred in March 13th of 1989, this powerful geomagnetic storm caused a conglomeration of events most often referred to as cascading failures. On March 10th, 1989, the sun released a massive coronal mass ejection aimed at the Earth. On the evening of Monday, March 12th, the vast cloud of solar plasma finally struck Earth's magnetic field. The violence of this geomagnetic storm caused spectacular northern lights that could be seen as far south as Florida and Cuba. The magnetic disturbance was incredibly intense. So intense, it actually created electrical currents in the ground beneath much of North America. Just after 2.44 a.m. on March 13th, the currents found a weakness in the electrical power grid of Quebec. In less than two minutes, the entire Quebec power grid lost power. During the 12-hour blackout that followed, millions of people suddenly found themselves in dark office building and underground pedestrian tunnels, installed elevators. Most people woke up to cold homes for breakfast. The blackout also closed schools and businesses, kept the Montreal metro shut during the morning rush hour, and closed Dorval Airport. You remember what I said about cascading failures? Yeah, well this storm caused exactly that. This solar storm caused multiple failures throughout both Canada and the United States. Throughout northeastern portions of the United States, utility companies such as New York Power and the New England Power Pool lost a total of about 1,600 megawatts of power the second the Quebec power grid went down. The Quebec blackout was by no means a local event. Some of the U.S. electrical utilities had their own cliffhanger problems to deal with. New York Power lost 150 megawatts the moment the Quebec power grid went down, and the New England Power Pool lost 1,410 megawatts at about the same time. Service to 96 electrical utilities in New England was interrupted while other reserves of electrical power were brought online. Luckily, the United States had the power to spare at the time, but just barely. Across the United States, from coast to coast, over 200 power grid problems erupted within minutes of the start of the March 13th storm. In space, some satellites actually tumbled out of control for several hours. NASA's TDRS-1 communication satellite recorded over 250 anomalies as high-energy particles invaded the satellite's sensitive electronics. Even the space shuttle Discovery was having its own mysterious problems. A sensor on one of the tanks supplying hydrogen to a fuel cell was showing unusually high pressure readings on March 13th. The problem went away just as mysteriously after the solar storm subsided. It is estimated that during this catastrophic power failure that nearly 6 million people were without power. Now, that was in 1989. Just imagine if that same solar storm impacted Earth today. 
we'd be looking at a far more devastating impact than what was experienced during this period. Luckily, since this solar storm, NASA has taken the monitoring of the sun's solar cycles incredibly serious. For the last 20 years, the agency has tracked the sun and space weather that this star creates. Using highly specialized satellites and ground-based instruments, the agency now has a much better idea of how the star functions. When SOHO was launched in December 2, 1995, the field of heliophysics looked very different than it does today. Questions about the interior of the sun, the origin of the constant outflow of material from the sun known as solar wind, and the mysterious heating of the solar atmosphere were still unanswered. 20 years later, not only do we have a much better idea about what powers the sun, but our entire understanding of how the sun behaves has changed. Even the concept of space weather, now defined to encompass any events or conditions stemming from the sun that can affect space-borne and ground-based technological systems, and through these, human life and endeavors wasn't well understood when SOHO was launched. At the time, it was thought that solar flares were the primary Earth-effective solar event, in part because they were the most observed. Thanks to SOHO's coronagraph, a type of camera that uses a solid disk to block out the bright face of the sun to better observe the comparatively faint solar atmosphere known as the corona. Today, we know that giant clouds that burst off the sun called coronal mass ejections, or CMEs, are a major piece of the space weather puzzle. Though two space-based coronagraphs preceded the one at SOHO, neither provided the same quantity or quality of observations. With far better insight and knowledge of the sun now available to us, emergency management personnel are now able to better plan for the eventuality of an event involving the sun and damage to the critical infrastructure here within the country. More commonly known as black sky events, these events are catastrophic events that severely disrupt the normal functioning of our critical infrastructure in multiple regions for long durations. Unfortunately, the downside of all our closely interconnected systems is that they become tightly interdependent, with each operating only if all the others are functioning. Serious disruption of any major infrastructure, service, or supply network could cause cascading failures that disrupt them all and on a global scale, initiating a complex catastrophe known as a black sky event. Black sky class hazards that could disrupt our deeply interdependent civilization include extreme conventional or space weather, extreme cyber attacks or EMP strikes, high morbidity, highly infectious pandemics, extreme seismic zones in critical infrastructure regions, and kinetic attacks on critical infrastructure nodes. Now, the question remains, how do you prepare for such an event? In the event that a large solar storm impacts Earth and leads to a catastrophic outage of regional or national proportions, do cities, towns, states, and more importantly, the federal government have contingencies in place to deal with the cascading failures that will occur? Let's start with the first pieces of critical infrastructure that would be affected following the release of a flare or coronal mass ejection. FEMA estimates that in the immediate aftermath of a coronal mass ejection, that approximately 15% of the satellite fleet currently orbiting Earth would be rendered inoperable to extensive damage to the solar panels. Solar radiation from the incoming storm would add 3-5 to five years worth of exposure to the panels, degrading older satellites to the point of inoperability. As this coronal mass ejection encompasses the Earth, the risk of communications and power outages greatly increases. In North America alone, the power grid could be rendered completely useless, sending hundreds of millions into a state of darkness and panic. We're not looking at a mere power outage. This event will lead to cascading failures to include food distribution, transit networks, emergency services, and water and wastewater facilities. If a Carrington event type CME were to strike Earth today, the power grid would serve as a giant antenna collecting energy from transmission lines and channeling it to the transformers that are the beating hearts of the grid. Those transformers then would overheat and in some cases melt down, putting them out of action. These transformers are the lifeblood of any electrical grid. In the United States alone, the average age of these transformers is anywhere between 38 and 40 years old. 
If these pieces of electrical infrastructure were to fail following a black sky event, we're looking at months in the dark. Each transformer has to be built to specific standards by trained engineers, and then the transformer must be extensively tested. The current transformers in the United States today are nearly at the end of their service life. According to Templeton Consulting, the pandemic brought about drastically increased lead times for these pieces of equipment. Whether due to shipping delays or materials necessary to build, I deal with a number of different clients on the utility side, and about a year ago, we started to see lead times from transformer manufacturers creep up. Before the pandemic, you could get a large transformer ordered in less than a year. Today, that is rare. A relatively large manufacturer in the U.S. was at about 38 months. That used to be 38 weeks if you were to compare. These events are something that I don't think we can truly fathom the effects of until they are truly occurring. Hospitals, fire stations, police stations, grocery stores, you name it, it would be offline. You would no longer be able to go to your local grocery store and buy your ribeyes for the cookout this weekend or buy the milk you need to finish making the icing for your daughter's birthday cake. Life as we know it would drastically change and not for the better. It would be hard to estimate the potential deaths and injury as a result. Hospitals would become nearly useless and any major life-saving procedures would no longer work due to the advanced tools that are necessary to complete those. When the lights go out, will you be ready? Will you have the necessary supplies to get you and your family through the disaster? The sun, while predictable, is still a sphere of burning hydrogen that at any moment's notice could release a flare or coronal mass ejection capable of plunging us all back into the late 1800s. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the episode this week. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate it five stars and share it. Be sure to follow the show's social media to stay up to date with new episodes and content. Until next time, this has been Destination Disaster.